reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. You can find it on page 1175 of the Church Bibles. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, for my uh, lack of photo and lack of getting the confession on. But I did a bit of domestic uh, to try and sort out. Uh, it's all good. Forgiveness is good. Uh, let's just pray for a moment before we get into this morning. I just want to affirm again this morning that, Father, you know us by name, that you alone see the depths of our heart, the depths of our mind, the depths of our whole being. You alone see it and know it. And you welcome us in. You welcome us home. Father, would you help us this morning? Would you come as our helper? Father, you... But some of us have that sense as we were watching this morning that your heart breaks for us. It's not out of judgment. It's out of longing for us to simply receive and take hold of what God has for us. Father, help us this year. Help us today to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Each week at Theological College, when I was away at Theological College, on a Wednesday, we would have what we called a spirituality lecture. It'd be on some aspect or topic of the Christian life, and often people would be invited in from around the UK, from churches, from charities, from particular parts of the church, to talk about a particular aspect of the Christian life. Anyway, one day, we had a visitor from Texas. From, that's in the United States of America, just a bit of geography for anybody who needs that, from Texas in the States, and he came as a church leader to come and share with us. And he had founded a church that they called the Church of the Miserable Worm. So his church that he had pioneered, his church that he had grown from a biker community in Texas, they had called the Church of the Miserable Worm. 
one of the things that they did is they identified, and the people who went there identified with that sense of our deep fallenness, a sense maybe of guilt and shame and darkness. Actually, they were happy to go and felt that actually gave them permission to talk about some of the darker aspects of life. And this little church grew into a community that had a very deep awareness of sin, its own sin, and wanted to encourage its people to be honest about the depths sometimes of our heart. I wonder whether you would join the church of the miserable worm. Is it the church of the lowest common denominator? One of the great things about that, one of the great things and the challenging aspects of listening to him and listening to the things is it, is to affirm again that no one, no one is beyond God's reach. No one is beyond salvation. And God in his extraordinary love and grace has come into the world with a grace and a saving grace and a mercy and a love that is deeper than any of the mire of uh, dirt, muck, sin, evil that exists in our world. That's how deep God's love is. God's love is deep. God's love is deep. God's love is very, very deep. I feel like I might break into a children's chorus, but that's another story. But deep enough to go to sex offenders, deep enough to go to billionaires that we have contempt with, or bankers, or journalists, or pornographers, or thieves, for bullies, for racists, for homophobes, for sexists, for the vainest person in the world, for murderers. God, love is deep for all. And of course, we celebrate the depth of God's love with a great passion. God invites us in. God welcomes us in. We want to know the depth of his love, that we have a past that can be redeemed. We have a present that is redeemable. We have a future that is redeeming in God's purposes and has been redeemed. That through grace, by faith, in Christ alone, we are saved as God's people. That there's nothing that God won't forgive. There's acceptance that he wants us to receive. That your past doesn't mean to say that you are beyond God's reach this morning or any other time. God's love is very, very, very deep. Just reiterating it. However, it's not just deep. It's high, too. It's high, too. God's love is high, too. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to just spend a bit of time thinking about that. In a sense, I'm going to do them in the opposite order. I'm going to do something that's a bit more challenging this morning, and then we'll look more purely at the height of God's love. So in a sense, I'm doing the wrong way around. But hopefully you sit with me for those who come and help us try and understand and grasp the height of God's love a little bit more. You see, Ephesians 3 that Faye read to us is one of the great passages in the Bible, in Paul's letters, right there in the middle of the book of Ephesians. It's one of the great prayers of Paul for his church. And even reading it today, even as I've reread it this week again, there's a sense of the urgency Paul has for his church and his churches to grasp, to grasp, to take hold of the height, the depth, the width, the length of God's love. God's love is very, very, very big. 
And actually, I hope as you read that, as you heard that, as maybe we look a little bit in front of you, if you have your Bible, it might open, we can open it again in a minute, so you might want to get the green Bible in front of you or your Bible in front of you on your, on your app. We're going to open it in a second as well. That actually they would be strengthened, the Ephesians, out of God's glorious riches. That there may no power from on high, the high God, to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of God. To know this love that is beyond all knowledge. That we be filled, filled, not have a little bit of His presence, we be filled, filled with the fullness, filled with the fullness of God. And that's a big prayer. It's a big prayer. It's not a small prayer. And that we know what it means to be the Lord's people, that that is open to us, that is available to us. That is what it means to be the Lord's people or Christians or holy people, however you want to translate the different bits of the Bible that talk about what it means to be a Christian. That God is able to do immeasurably more immeasurably more, not a tiny bit more, but immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I think it's a fabulous prayer. Paul may have prayed it, I didn't pray it, but as I read it, I kind of think, yes, Lord, more, please. Yes, amen to that. It's how I respond to that. Not just for me, but for you, for your families, for the people you work with, you live with, for our city, for the parish that the immeasurably more of God will be something that we long for and experience and grasp and have, have something to do about. It's a big prayer with big theology, and it's also practical. This isn't some abstract idea of a kind of God who sits on high and is not really engaged with us. But it's a big vision of God's love. That God's love is pure. God's love is holy. His love is a holy love. And I'd suggest to you this morning, we need that. The holy love of God. A holy love of God that would come down amongst all the muck and the dirt and the brokenness and the darkness of this world and our world, our own personal worlds. I said, let, let me lift you up. Let me lift you up. That in Christ, that he would come and lift us from a life of sin and death and hell and brings us to eternal life. This is what Paul writes in the preceding chapter in Ephesians 2. I'm just going to go to Ephesians 2, sort of 1 to 6, but do bits of it. This is what Paul has just also said before this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. That's our state in and out of the life of Christ, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace and grace alone that you have been saved. So I added a bit there. And what's verse 6 say? And God, 
raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. I hope this morning as you hear that or as you read that or as you meditate on that and also Ephesians 3, you get a sense of, yes, that's what God has done for me. Our life in and outside of Christ is marked by sin of being blown around by the world, gratifying our own desires or the desires of the world. Yet God in his extraordinary love and grace and his mercy comes and lifts us up doesn't lift us up a bit, doesn't lift us a little way, but lifts us all the way to sit with him. I mean, the God of the universe would do that for me and for you. I would say that's amazing this morning, to be able to inherit the glorious riches of his kingdom, to know our future is secure, fantastic. An eternity with God in his glorious kingdom. What an amazing inheritance to enjoy and to be part of and to receive the riches of the kingdom of God. Well, actually, in another letter, so if you've got your Bible, I'd love you to open it. Let's just read together a little extract, another letter in Philippians 2. I'm going to suggest for those who are able to do it this morning, we're going to read that together. Together, Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians is after Ephesians. And your Bible sits on 1179 uh, on, your, on your green Bible. If you've got it, um, do take hold of that. And we're going to read together, if you're able to do so. If you've got a different version, don't worry about it. Just read. But we're going to read together from verse 5 to verse 11 of Philippians 2. This is what Paul writes to the church, and it's seen as one of the great hymns of the church. Okay, from verse 5. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do you notice or see the pattern that those of you know this passage quite well? that we're called to follow, to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Some people call it the great U-shape or the V-shape. That Jesus, in the very nature of God, did not consider equality because so humbled himself and became obedient to death to get to the bottom. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. For us, a call to repentance, to acknowledge he is God, we are people, and he longs to lift us up. He longs to lift us up to be with him, seated with Christ. Inheritors, 
of his great kingdom, adopted into his family. It's a beautiful place. That's a place that is ours as Christians. That's our inheritance, to share in his glory and splendor. I wonder whether you know that place, or whether you actually, as part of understanding that, we all long for the high place, but to get to the high place sometimes requires death. It does require death. This morning I was just chatting to Steve doing coffee and I was saying actually the cold weather is what our plants need. That's the height of my gardening expertise. But there needs to be death for resurrection to come. There needs to be a, a coming to the bottom for new life to come. I think last Sunday when we were praying, John had a picture, didn't you, John? As, um, do you want to come and sh- briefly share it? Or... Um, just to say, and, and actually as part of something similar, we're, we're thinking about uh, what that is. Just you want to briefly just share that as a practical kind of what that might look. Just explain what the pitch was and then say something if you'd like to. Yeah. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, can I do the brief context? Yeah, quickly. Okay, yeah, yeah. quickly, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I've got a netball team this term, which is the first time I've ever had a netball team at school. Um, and a week ago, one of the girls fell over and um, banged her elbow. And so she needed an ice pack. Um, and the ice packs we have are chemical. Um, so you have a bag that just feels like a normal temperature bag, but there's an inner bag that has the chemical that's needed to create the chemical reaction so it becomes cold. But what you have to do is you have to squeeze the outer bag to such a point until you burst the inner bag. And the moment you get to the inner bag and you apply enough pressure and it bursts, then the entire thing changes temperature and suddenly becomes useful uh, for the purpose it's intended. Um, And the picture that I shared last week, um, we were talking about this idea of um, repentance or being broken down or, or things having to be broken before they can be the fullness of themselves. Um, and it just seemed like a nice spiritual image um, so that we, when we come on a Sunday, when we come this morning, we have to be prepared for that inner bag to be squeezed sufficiently that the reaction can take place and then our temperature can change. Great. Okay. Yeah, that's all. Thank you, John. So... Um, for those who've been Christians for a number of time, you'll have heard the phrase, my utmost for his highest. Oswald Chambers was a Scottish minister who died at the age of 43 in the First World War in 1917. He became famous for the books he wrote. He wrote down lots of sort of meditations and some of his, in his devotionals that he read. He was a preacher, a writer, and a tutor. And he's made most famous for the little devotional that actually his wife wrote on the basis of his sayings, I, my utmost for his highest. Now, this is a phrase that came to me last year, over a couple of months, as I was praying again and again and again, my utmost for his highest. This isn't a little devotional about works, about works righteousness, so we've got to some way make ourselves acceptable to God through our works. But what it means is to overflow with the life of God who has saved us and to live in response to that, to say, actually, I want to live in the light of the height of the God who's come down to save me and to share all that he's given me with the rest of my life, in the light of God's holiness, 
in the light of his beauty, in the light of his kindness, in the light of his grace, his power, and his majesty, I want to spend the rest of my life sharing out of the goodness and the height of God's love. You know, we are called, Scripture is quite clear that we are called to be his ambassadors. In God's great plan of redemption, he has chosen us to play our part, to reflect his nature to the world, to display his splendor is how I like to put it. Of course, we saw last year when we went through the book of Acts, he, he commissioned certain people, called certain people, all of us, in fact, to continue his work and his ministry, but all of us can respond and play our part in that in very different ways. As you read the Bible, as you read the story, it's a high calling. It's not just a low calling. If you read Chambers, what you'll see is that in Philippians 2, that picture of dying to sin and rising with Christ. He talks it that he needed the dark night of the soul, a willingness to fate up to his brokenness, his sin, his failure, and be honest about that, before God raised him up. The way he talks about it is that he therefore wanted to share through his writings what it means, means to experience the joyful experience of Christ the God who'd rescued him, saved him, and given him new life. And the remainder of his life he saw as doing my utmost for his highest. It was all a response to what he'd received from God. A man who'd been saved by death, through grace, broken, broken uh, so that new life could come. And for me, one of the key moments I'd say in my life when I was 18 or 19, often it's circumstances that have broken me. It had, it's made me face up to actually the paucity of my own spiritual life. And for me, when I, it was one of the key moments when I was 18 or 19 and I failed my exams or didn't get the exams I needed. On the back of those failures, God began a new work in me and I had to face up to some of the kind of parts of my life that really weren't very godly. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is a verse that's always stuck with me since then. Paul's talking about the food laws, but actually it still applies across all life. Is that 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, if I eat or drink or whatever do, I do. I do it all for the glory of God. Our whole lives are live for his glory, not our own. So I encourage you um, at the beginning of this new year, Take seriously God's call on your life. God knows how he's made you. God knows what he's put in you. God knows what he's capable of doing in and through you. But we also need to be able to make choices that give that uh, a response, to show our response to God's call on our lives. What it means this year to radically follow Jesus, to change maybe some of our habits and our patterns, to make different things a priority. What is it God is saying to us? If you are stuck, feeling a bit stuck this year, there are three copies, only got three. I'll leave them at the front after the end of the service. Just come and take one. If you're looking for something, just a little devotional, little reading, little reflection, a bit of the Bible, a bit of prayer, to shape your life. If you need something this year as a way of helping you step into what God has for you, just please take a copy. 
at the beginning of Paul's letter at the beginning of Philippians. There's a verse that Paul talks, you know, I don't want to stand before my God ashamed. To be living the lower life. And if I'm honest, and if we're honest, too often, so many things in our lives get in the way. You know, we struggle to put God first in our lives. So the plans, the great plans God might have for us can't get beyond the kind of struggle and difficulties of putting God in his rightful place in our lives, to seek his kingdom first, his righteousness. Because ultimately, when it all comes down to it, for Christians, we live for an audience of one, for his pleasure, his delight, his purposes. Will you humble yourselves afresh this year for God's purposes? I'm going to come and share communion and in a bit, we're going to worship in response in a minute. But I have no idea how, as Joe began the service, you're, whether you're feeling weighed down at the beginning of this year, you're excited about this year, privately dreading this year. But I'd just like you to take a moment to be aware of where you're up to with God. Be honest. Who are you trying to please this year? Whose pleasure are you seeking? Your wives? Your husbands? Your colleagues? Do you spend a lot of life trying to please your mum and dad because their voice is still so big in your life? Where's God? Most of us live with very full lives and very full diaries. I'm not knocking that, by the way. But where is God in that? Where is my utmost for his highest? What's God calling me to do this year to show, to demonstrate the things he's calling me to so I can give my utmost for his plans and purposes this year? To grow in Christ-likeness, be more like him. I'm allowed to say last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, lots happened in the last couple of weeks, but I think it was one of the things we asked when people shared, I think Pete came and said, you know, how much does today matter? Is there a sense of urgency for what God called you to? To make a difference for him and with your life. Let's offer ourselves afresh to God this year. So let me just pray. Let's take a moment of quiet. We're going to respond in worship in a moment. We're going to come to communion. You're very welcome to come to communion. Open your hands to offer yourself afresh to God. That's our response in a way is not just to come with loads of kind of, okay, it's just to offer ourselves back to God, to put him first and ask him to show us the things he's called us to. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, I offer myself this morning and we offer ourselves this morning and want to say yes and amen to what you have for us, what you want for us. Father, I pray that you would help us live with open hearts this year, more open hearts this year to what you have for us. 
Father, I particularly pray this morning for anybody who feels far away from God or um, feels overwhelmed by their circumstances, that they just can't begin to think how life could be different. Father, I pray particularly this morning that those people would know your fullness this morning, that in some way you would come and fill their lives afresh with your life and your hope and your strength, your power, your love. Father, set us free this year to live with greater joy and love and peace for you. In Jesus' name, amen.